part of my trauma was probably the absentee of that. And when I started drinking and taking cigarettes out of his pack and pills from my mom from a young age, I didn't feel alone anymore. Right. And that's probably where my gateway drug or my gateway behavior started. Inside the 5150 Studios, this is Knocking Doors Down, a podcast about sharing inspirational stories of those who have come from great adversity to live purposeful lives in the area of addiction and mental health. And we are here to end the stigma around those two things. I'm your host, Jason, alcoholic, had some depression and anxiety issues. My co-host, Uncle Mikey over there. Definitely in the same boat with depression and anxiety, so I feel you. What is going on, everybody? Our guest this week, Sam Anthony Lucania, uh, the author of Just Don't Die. Of course, he wrote it along with his wife, Rachel. Really great book. We get into discussing why he put it out there. It's a one couple's true story of overcoming a battle with depression, addiction, and suicidal behavior. Uh, if you want to know more about Sam and the book, uh, you can click that link in the podcast description. We thank you guys for listening on Apple Podcasts app and Spotify, where you can now leave us a rating and review on both of those apps as well. We're, of course, on Google Podcast, pretty much every podcast app out there so you can get us. And uh, you can also go to our YouTube channel, check out short clips and join the uh, premium channel, 99 cents a month for the unedited commercial free interviews. If you're a visual person like myself. That's right. So all the interviews of the uh, past episodes and this one are currently up there for your viewing if you join. And there's there's also clips from the videos as well. So, hey, check it out. And, of course, check out 5150 LTM. We couldn't do any of this without them, could we, Uncle Mikey? We could not. The 5150 LTM lifestyle brands, hats, shirts, t-shirts, sweatshirts, sweatpants. I got some cool camouflage one because you know I like my camo and so much more. So, hey, hit that link in the podcast description. Get yourself 20% off for being a listener of the podcast. How, Jason? Use the code KDD20. That's KDD20. And that's all you got to do. 20% off. Sick. All right. Well, we got we got a guy that's got mafia background, Mikey. Can you can you explain <laughs> to the listeners what you had just told us regarding your last name, please? Yeah. So uh, my last name has been getting butchered since grammar school. Uh, Luciana, Lucania, Lucania. Um, it's pronounced Lucania. So it's the C is a hard C. It sounds like a K. Um, but my grandfather's first cousin is actually Lucky Luciano. And when he came over through uh, Ellis Island, his name is Charles Salvatore Lucania. But like a lot of people's ancestors, they butchered the name, rearranged a couple value uh, vowels in there. And it went from Lucania to Luciano. Wow. That's crazy. Growing up in uh, Jersey. So uh, I love it out there. been out there a couple of times throughout my life. But you you and your book, which uh, we're, we're going to dig all throughout it, the uh, Sam's book, Just Don't Die. It's uh, it's really great. And I think it was a fitting title, which I thought was interesting in the book where you had consulted other people about the title, you know, wanting to be sensitive about it. But the reality of us addicts, you know, it's like it's the one just, thing you can't fix, man, whether it's your anxiety, your depression, that thing that happened to you when you were a kid, you know, you can't stop drinking that drink, taking the pills, cutting yourself. We can fix all that. Just don't die because you can't fix dead. I want to hear a little bit more what you have to say, obviously, as the podcast goes on, but I want to see how much we relate to each other because I've told myself this just don't die plenty of times, <laughs> but I want to see if my meaning has the same meaning as yours. So Jason, as you were. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, for Sam, like any of us addicts, it's like, you know, hey, throughout the process, uh, 
you know, we don't want to fucking die. As long as you don't die, you're above ground. You still got the ability to get clean and do something with your life. Yeah. And for me, it kind of had two meanings because, I mean, I literally had one foot in the grave when I overdosed. I mean, I woke up in the ICU, handcuffed to a gurney, two down my throat, um, two doses of Narcan didn't wake me up. I had no idea how I got there. You know, so I literally had one foot in the grave, you know, so I literally, you know, just don't die, man. If, if you can make it through this, we can fix the addiction part. We can get you some treatment, some counseling, some IOP, maybe some MAT, whatever it is that you need. We can work on that. But then I also realized I've been a chronic relapser since 2004. And mm. after every relapse, uh, I would die a small spiritual death. There would yeah. be a small part of me that would just give up hope. I wouldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just kind of give up on life. I get this. I guess this is just what I was meant to be. I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to be a drunk. I'm always going to be an addict. And uh, I just didn't see any other way out. Um, so it's kind of has two meanings, you know, don't die that spiritual death and also literally keep you, keep you out of the grave, man. Yeah. And one of the things that really touched me that you were very open about, and I think more people needed to hear, and I don't know who has or hasn't picked up from other, other conversations we've had with people on the, the podcast, but the falling off during the pandemic, you know, my hand is up, it, 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 you know, I just wasn't sticking with my things, protecting myself, my boundaries and everything. And you really lay that out in here. And I was, I, it, that, that catch at the beginning of the book, it's what kept me going. I was like, oh shit. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm vibing with this guy. I haven't even talked to him yet. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic hit me hard, man. There's a lot of people that, uh, I mean, they started businesses through COVID. Uh, they didn't relapse. They jumped on the virtual bandwagon. Uh, you know, into oh, everybody that made it through unscathed, my hat's off to you. That just wasn't my story, man. At first I was good. You know, I was all Joey motivational and I was at home with my kids and, you know, doing all the indoor dad activities. Like, Hey, look, we set up a tent in the living room and, you know, I was just, and, and for a few weeks there it was okay. And then, uh, you know, a couple bad days turned into a couple bad weeks, turned into a couple bad months. Um, and I just started to lose hope and I really gave up. I didn't pivot well. Um, and here's my, my, this is my personal thing, right? So I don't do things with, I don't do well with things like quarantine, uh, contactless, uh, isolation. Um, you know, I, I don't do well with that because I wasn't, I, that's how I drank and used. I, you weren't going to catch me at a social hour, a happy hour, fraternizing with some dude's wife. Uh, you weren't going to catch me at a frat party playing beer pong. I was going to get my pills. I was going to get my booze and I was going to go home and drink until I black out. Um, and when I became sober, I became very social, you know, even became a speaker. I travel, I travel the country now and you know, I do speaking events in front of 500 to a thousand people. And I conversate and, um, you know, socialize with them afterwards and, and COVID took all that away from me and I didn't pivot. I didn't handle it well. And, you know, eventually I ended up uh, picking up some pills and a drink and things got pretty dark there for a while. Was it also the time you were having some medical issues too? And that's how the pills came about. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So uh, you probably can't see it, but I got a nice size scar on my neck here. I ended up having a um, post anterior cervical discectomy. So they basically cut my neck open, took out one of my cervical discs, put in a replacement, put a couple screws in a small um, metal uh, frame in there and put me all back together. Cause I was having a lot of pain going into my shoulder, down my arm and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I started off with the safest method of treatment, nothing at all, you know, some core, some cortisone injections and some med packs and some ibuprofen. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it was really bad and I was like, all right, you know, maybe I'll try just a little bit of tramadol. Uh, and then I realized that, you know what, if you take four or five, 600 milligrams of tramadol, it kind of feels like Percocet. 
Uh, and then eventually, you know, they gave me some Norco and then some Norco turned into some Percocet and then 10 milligrams a day, all of a sudden became 80 milligrams a day again. And, um, you know, just, it, it's looking back to my drinking and using history when I was 12 years old, I've never wanted just one of anything. And if I was trying to control my drinking and using, I wasn't enjoying it. And if I was enjoying it, I certainly wasn't controlling it. So I don't know why I've always been so obsessed with that. You know, maybe this time will be different because it never is. Yeah, I, I related to and I think the words that you use that, that we will use often in meetings is uh, one was not enough. Yeah, know? yeah. One's, uh, one's too many and a hundred is never enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, same, same. But I want to ask, because a lot of us, especially with alcoholics, we talk a lot about trauma being a gateway drug. And you have a really interesting, from your personal standpoint, about the gateway drug. But do you think that I, I relate so much to that isolated kid? Didn't feel like they fit in. Didn't feel like they were good looking. Good, didn't feel like they were smart or any of that. Do you think that early isolation was kind of a trauma thing and not knowing how to connect with people and now being so different now where like, I'm like you, I need connectivity. Uh, I definitely. And it's, uh, you know, I still meet with the counselor and, you know, we're actually digging deep into some of that childhood trauma and isolation. And, you know, people hear childhood trauma that doesn't necessarily mean that you were sexually abused or your parents beat you when you were a kid. You know, mm -hmm. childhood trauma could mean that maybe, uh, you know, your parents were just a little bit absent. Like me personally, I don't have a lot of memories of my dad throwing the ball around with me. You know, he was a hardworking man. He was a paramedic. He worked three jobs. He worked 12, 14 hour days. And, you know, we came from an old school family. We got home. When he got home from work, we sat down at the table. He smoked a cigarette. He ate the big piece of chicken. And, you know, then he, he sat down. He watched what he wanted to watch on the TV and went to bed. There was no, how was your day? And let me help you with your home. Let's go outside and throw the ball around. You know, so part of my trauma was probably the absentee of that. And when I started drinking and taking cigarettes out of his pack and pills from my mom from a young age, I didn't feel alone anymore. Right. And that's probably where my gateway drug or my gateway behavior started. I think that's for so many. I know that for me, it was, you know, wasn't so much the drugs, but, you know, pornography was in the house. And then I got a hold of that and there was something about that. And later as I started, you know, dating and all those things, and it's like, oh, I'm not confident. But then once in, you know, my early 20s, all right, I can have a couple drinks. And, you know, it took mm -hmm. off from there. So it's weird how these things can manifest and it can take so much time. You know, people don't think of that about the brain as the organ that it is. These things may not play out till much later for us in life. And it's interesting that you bring up the pornography. And I mean, Number one, that's that's huge that you're so open about it because I tell you, I, one of the bravest things I've ever seen from the stage. I was speaking at a high school, and I get a lot of a lot of pranksters, a lot of jokesters in the crowd. They'll raise their hand, they'll ask some dumbass questions just to kind of try to get a rise out of their classmates. And uh, this kid, I was just, it was like last question. He stood up, he raised his hand, and he looked at me. He's like, "What do we do if we have pornography addiction?" And I could just tell by looking in his eyes and the sound of his voice, like he wasn't trying to clown around. He wasn't making a joke. He wasn't trying to get a rise out of his friend. And uh, I sat with him afterwards and we talked about it. And, you know, I pointed in a direction where he might be able to get some counsel for it. But apparently his um, courage to stand up in front of his peers started uh, um, kind of like a, a wave of other young men in his class saying like, wow, I can't believe you did that. Like I struggle with that too. 
you know, it was a lot harder when I was young. I mean, you know, I had to, had to steal a, a, vid, a VHS, you know, from, from an adult that had it or get my hands on a, on a Playboy or something like that. Right. Now these kids just open their phone. They could see whatever they want, whenever they want, as early as they want. Really challenging. And, you know, your counselors will talk to you about it. Like, you know, if I bet you, if you had to go out of the house and go somewhere and go to a store to get it, it wouldn't be as big as a problem if you, instead of just picking this up and swiping, you know? Um, so it's, uh, it's it, the, the pornography addiction, it's real. And if anybody out there struggles with it, just know that you're not alone. Yeah. It's absolutely. like you said, it's way too easy. Yeah. It's way too easy. Yeah. I had one magazine and that magazine got a lot of usage <laughs> because there was nothing else. But nowadays yeah. you Google, it's all dopamine and whether the blood. dopamine comes from red dots on notifications on your cell phone or seeing what you're seeing when you're looking at pornography or the buzz that you're getting off of that vape or the feeling that you get when you take that drink, it's, it's all dopamine release. Yeah. And you know, at 13 years old, it's easier to get your dopamine from pornography than it is from pills and booze. Yeah. And, and we're seeing it more as we talk with people in the area of sex, sex and love addiction that, you know, relationships, toxic relationships that people want to understand, well, why does this person keep going back to that guy or that woman or whatever it is? It's the highs and the lows. Uh, and as much like myself, you've suffered through depression. Uh, when you get that high of another person, well, then, you know, you start snorting people. And if they, you know, you give them that control, then, hey, they get to dip you back down, but they also get to bring you back up and becomes that toxic repeating pattern. Um, yeah. And that's, it's one of the sick, frightening things about opiates is the thing that made you sick is sometimes unless you're willing to go to route of recovery and, and dealing with your kick, the thing that made you ill is the only thing that'll get you better. I can't tell you how many times I was detoxing and I was just like, I know it's going to make me better right now, man. Yeah. I don't want to wait another three to four days for this to kick out of my system. Let's just take a couple of pills and, and get right for now. Well, what was the decision? Because your wife, Rachel, it was really cool how you guys did the book. You know, you're presenting yourself, your story, and she jumps in from her perspective. Was there an inspiration behind that with the book of having her present her perspective on, you know, going through, you know, your story when she comes into your life and so on? I mean, absolutely. First off, I just have to say I would be dead literally and figuratively if not for that woman. I mean, she has stuck by my side uh, through every relapse, every bout of depression, every funk. She's also been there to ride every high. Um, I mean, she's the one that found me the night that I overdosed. I mean, she gave me CPR until the medics arrived. So, I mean, that's why I mean literally and figuratively. Um, but you know, when I decided to write the book, I, I only, I, this is basically a remix of my first memoir, which is titled hands like you're praying, which I don't even think is available on Amazon anymore, mm -hmm. but I started writing that book because in 2015, my addiction took me a place I never wanted to go. I stole some pills from a friend. I got caught. I got charged with breaking and entering, and I thought I was going to jail for a long time and writing a book seemed like a really good way to keep busy. Uh, I did go to jail. It was only for a little bit, uh, a good chunk of the book. Um, two, two large chapters were actually written while I was uh, serving my time in B-Pod, which is pretty cool. Um, but when I got done and I published it, uh, you know, during the writing process, she wanted to tell her side of the story too, because there's so many things that happened to me that affected her and that affected us. And there's a lot of people where their loved one um, struggles with addiction, struggles with depression, struggles with anxiety. You know, they, they have one or two arguments about it and then boom, that's it. They're done. You know, they split up. Um, you know, my wife and I are, are happily married over 10 years now. 
um, happily married along the way, there was a lot of bumps. There was a lot of bruises. There was a lot of tears. There was also a lot of joy, uh, a lot of happiness. Um, there was a lot of counseling, a lot of counseling. I had to do a lot of counseling. She had to do and a lot of counseling that we did together and we still do it. Um, and people look at us now and say like, oh, well, you know, do you have problems in your marriage? And I'm like, well, no, we don't really have problems, but I want to make sure it stays that way. You know, it's, a, it's like the alcoholic that's got 15 years of sobriety. It still goes to meetings. So are you thinking about drinking? No, but I want to make sure it stays that way. Yeah. Um, and, and doing the book, writing the book, it was helpful for her. Um, but there's also things and perspectives that she has that I just don't understand. And I can't relay where somebody's going to be able to relate, uh, relate more to her side than they would with me. Um, eventually she wants to, um, start doing some speaking events and stuff with me. Um, but right now with three kids under the age of five, it's just not the season for that, but, um, that will be coming soon. Very cool. Yeah. Your, your sons are adorable, man. I gotta say. Uh, Thanks man. I got my hands full, dude. I mean, I haven't <laughs> slept straight through the night and, since my, my youngest has been born, which has been, uh, I mean, how old is he now? Uh, three months now. I can't believe it. Or I mean, coming up on six months. No. I don't know. I'm just so sleep deprived. Uh, man, my house is a dumpster fire at any given time, guys. <laughs> I I remember that. My mine are only uh, 13 months apart, so it was like having two at the same time, roughly. So kid free, baby. Yeah, and they're all born around the same time: May 8th, May 28th, and June 28th. Oh, you guys didn't all mess born around. in the same cluster too. So well, that's good. You just knock out your season of gifts in those two months. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I do the same thing around Christmas time because my wife's birthday is December twentieth. So it's like, here's your birthday gifts, here's your Christmas gifts. Exactly. Now we're broke. Happy New Year. Exactly. <laughs> now we're broke. Happy New Year. Now we're right? broke. Happy New Year. Oh <laughs> uh, shit. Well, what what made you decide to get out speaking, and what was your first engagement for speaking like? So uh, when I got done writing the book in 2017, uh, I went with a self-publisher. I sent them my manuscript and they're like, okay, you know, in the, in the terms of, you know, designing a cover and uh, page design and editing, it's probably going to be about seven, eight months before you have something. I was like, okay, well, what do I do now? Because, you know, writing was keeping me busy. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I, uh, I'm a huge believer in, uh, you know, God, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. I turned my back on him many times, but he's never turned his back on me. And, um, I felt like he was telling me, I need to go do more. You need to go share your story somehow. And I didn't really know how to do that. So I went where we, uh, where everybody goes these days, when you have a question about something, social media. And I literally just went on Facebook and I said, Hey, I want to share my story in a school. Can somebody help me out? And uh, back in 2006, um, I got in trouble for prescription fraud and I had to go through an intensive outpatient and I had a very wonderful counselor named Jen. Um, well, 10 years later, she saw my post on Facebook and she was no longer a counselor. She was actually the director of student services for the school board of the county that I lived in. And she was, uh, remembered me. She was like, hey, you know, we're doing an SOS, which is signs of suicide presentation um, next Friday. Do you want to come and speak to the kids? I said, sure. What is this like a health class or something? She said, no, it's all the juniors and seniors. Uh, it's going to be about 800 kids. So the first time I ever grabbed the mic was in front of 800 of the most critical human beings on earth, teenagers. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I probably gave somewhat of like an AA lead. You know, I told a little bit of like what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. It was really just verbal diarrhea of the mouth. I couldn't really tell you what I said. Um, but I remember the response that I got when I was done and that natural high that I had when I walked out of the building. And uh, she even said to me, she was like, hey, do you know a, a guy named Chris Heron, who's a, um, I think you guys had him on the show, yeah, right? Yeah. A while yeah. back. 
And uh, she was like, you know, he came here a few years ago and, you know, they paid him X amount of dollars. I was like, wait, people get paid for this. And I didn't know there was a whole industry behind speaking and stuff like that. So I did a little bit of research and I read some books. I listened to some podcasts. I built a website. I refined my message. I got a speaking coach. And, um, you know, what turned into a hobby um, became a profession. And in 2019, I decided to quit my full-time job working at the gym that I was working at to pursue a speaking career. Um, things started going really, really well. The beginning of 2020 um, was lined up to be the biggest, busiest year I ever had until March 13th. And, um, you know, things kind of got shut down because of COVID, but um, that is all kind of behind me now. I've picked up again. I've got uh, multiple events on the books and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back out there. And I mean, I'd have to say one of the main reasons I do this is if somebody can learn from my mistakes so they don't have to make their own, then everything that I went through is worth it. More with Sam Lucania coming up. Not only do we have uh, some mutual friends and past guests that have been on the episode, he talks about his intersection with them. Also, more on the book, Just Don't Die. And, of course, those fun random questions. And Sam leaves us with the final last inspiring words. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make the those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. You brought up an interesting thing concerning social media, and I, I saw um, a post, and we've talked about this with other people, or I talk with people individually, but you talked a lot about content as well as commenting on certain things, too. <laughs> oh, you saw my recent post. I That's did. right. I yeah, so the post the, because the I post agree. referring to said, uh, a wise man said, don't argue with fools because from a distance, people can't tell who is who. And by the way, this goes for online controversy as well. A lot of people need to stay out of the comment section. And I see a lot of people getting involved and engaged and just wasting endless amounts of energy in things that, number one, have nothing to do with them. And number two, you're not going to change the outcome of the situation. I heard a, a speaker once. His name is Alan Stein. And I don't know if this is his original statement or what, but he said, before you post anything on social media, you got to ask yourself three questions. One, does this need to be said? Two, does this need to be said by me? Three, does this need to be said by me right now? And if you can answer yes to all three of those questions, post away. If the answer is no, maybe you should keep that one to yourself. Mikey, you're pretty good about not getting engaged. I get fired up uh, about a lot of no. things. I don't get engaged with any of that. I don't even read the comments. I'm just like, <laughs> no, I'm over it. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I am so like, on my social media, I post me, where I'm at, shit like that. I don't post anything about religion, politics, COVID, my thoughts on the vaccine, and none of that. I have, you know, opinions on all those things, yeah. but it doesn't matter because whatever's going to be is going to be. Gas prices are skyrocketing right now, right? You could bitch Especially about it. About but... You guys, man. Oh, so I was yeah. in Rio Grande a couple Fuck months yeah. ago for a speaking event. I was like, 450. You guys are kidding me. 
I wish it was four fifty right now. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah. Uh, parts of L.A. are like nearing five bucks or over wow. five bucks, and it's. But anyway, my point is, it's like you can bitch and whine and complain about, oh, this person did this or that. It doesn't matter if that's the case. Then fucking walk. Oh, you're not going to walk. You're going to drive. Okay, then shut up and pay it because I'm paying it too. We all are. Get over right. it. You know yeah, what I mean? You're not going to change it. So why wait? There's a, there's a lot of places that deserve your energy and, and so many people waste it where it's just un, un, unwanted and just undeserved. Like just sure. don't, don't waste your time. The only thing that I give my energy to, and I will speak about it because uh, I'm not going to get into politics. We never do. But as far as like presidents and stuff, I'm not going to say who I voted for, but you vote for your president. If they won, good on you. If they didn't, okay, then wait four years or wait till mm-hmm. their term's done. And then that's it. And then move on because you being pissed off isn't going to change anything. But what I was going to say is the only thing that I'm strong about and that I will speak up about is the 49ers. I will speak. (laughs) I will touch on that. I I used to be a huge 49ers fan because I loved Joe Montana as a kid. I followed players more than I follow teams. And I was a huge 49ers fan. So because I love Joe Montana. So was who's your team now then? Cardinals. Honestly, right? I don't watch a lot of football. Um, I used to be a heavy gambler um, when I was using a lot. And when I and when I sobered up, I stopped gambling because it brings out character defects and traits of mine that I don't really like to see. Um, so I can't really say I have a, a, a football team that I follow. I don't really follow football at all. I'm more of a baseball guy now. And even then I follow players. So I was a Nats fan because I live out in the DC area and I loved what they were doing with the team until uh, uh, he made all those trades. I don't know what the hell he did. Um, but now you see me with the Dodgers hat on because I still like Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, but I think Max is going bye-bye. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. That's the thing with me in sports. It's like football and basketball are my sports that that's what I love the most. I'm a diehard 49er fan and I'm a diehard Warriors fan, but mm. baseball's always kind of been whatever. Like, yeah, I'm a Giants fan because everyone in my family is, but I'll wear an LA hat because I love the city of Los Angeles. So I'll rock an LA hat. I'll wear a Atlanta Braves hat because it's matching my shoes that day. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I got a, I I got a Yankee shirt because I grew up in Jersey. I, I got a Dodgers hat because I like Turner and Scherzer. I got a Nats hat because I live in the air. People are like, oh my God. I'm like, dude, I'm not on the roster. Chill, dude. Just, just like, relax. <laughs> and I had to chill on my Dodger hats too. When they were in the World Series, I didn't wear them because it did look like I was a bandwagon oh, fan. Lot, lot, so lot during that, here. during that time, I was wearing my Giants hat. I'm like, just yeah. so everybody knows, I'm not a Dodger fan all of a sudden. Like, so. uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that if I sit too much in my fandom, again, something that is completely out of my control that it you know it gets my anger or whatever it is and that's that's a has been in the past a real motivator for me to uh go and relapse and make excuses Mm -hmm. so i just i just don't let the shit affect me anymore how it used to be like i'm a huge formula one fan yes lewis hamilton got screwed everybody um but it's like what am I going to do about it? I can't, I can't change this outcome. What the hell does it matter anymore? Oh, it's- fuck that. I get pissed. <laughs> I, I break remote control. I will be fuck. Like, when they lose it's, and you know, they've been sucking. So I've been pissed a lot for the past couple Sundays, but you know, we're in the playoffs now and this isn't about them. <laughs> Back to Sam. Back to Sam. <laughs> so, See, I can go off on a rant about it, dude. <laughs> Passion's good though. There's nothing wrong with passion. Agreed. Oh, yeah. Agreed. But you were talking about uh, prior to the speaking, you were working in a gym. So what were kind of the things when you really sought treatment and started working it? Because um, you did do 12 steps, but you don't keep a birth date, which is interesting. I want to talk to you about. Um, 
what uh what do you, what was it for you that you took that maybe would be helpful to people because you know us addicts we, we got to get busy so for me i have what i refer to now is the things that keep me sober i've got to be wrapped up in my it's kind of like my holy trinity of sobriety which is spiritual fitness physical fitness and mental fitness you know my physical fitness is i've got to take care of myself and growing up i wasn't an athlete i didn't work out you know i was 135 pounds soaking wet when i graduated high school i was just all skin and bones right um so now i've got to take care of myself physical fitness doesn't mean you got to be a, a triathlete you don't have to run marathons you don't have to be a bodybuilder but there's so many people like they just don't even move and they don't understand the the benefits of that 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 dopamine and that serotonin release that gets going when you actually you know you get that blood flowing and your adrenaline's pumping and whether it's working out or bike riding or mountain climbing or playing tennis or horseback riding or whatever it is that you're into there's got to be some physical component to my recovery um, my spiritual fitness is my religion. Um, you know, I'm a believer in Christ. I go to church. I listen to the podcast. I listen to the music. I read the devotionals. You know, that that's huge. So when it came to finding my higher power, when I was doing 12 step, that part was very easy for me. And then mm. my mental fitness is my keeping in touch with other men in the program, uh, listening to recovery type podcasts. Um, it's my, uh, you know, whether it's going to a meeting of recovery, whether it's CR or AA or uh, smart recovery or meeting with my counselor or just having a cup of coffee with somebody else that, you know, can identify with me. That's my mental fitness. And I, I realized that I have to have all three of those things going on all cylinders at all times, because it's kind of like a three-legged chair. And if you take right. one wet leg away from a three-legged chair, it doesn't stand up too well. And I've been there before where I had all three things going, but you know what? Well, I'm really into the gym right now. And I'm really into church right now. I don't really need to go to a meeting or call somebody in the program or meet with my counselor. I don't need, so I, I've made that mistake in the past. And you mentioned I was a 12 step guy. You know, when I first started sobriety, this journey of recovery in 2004, um, I went to AA and I went to AA for a long time. I picked up dozens of chips. I've worked the steps with multiple sponsors. And, um, you know, I'd say just recently within the last few years, I've kind of gotten away from the whole sobriety date thing. And here's why. And you might agree with this. You might not. This is what I believe. I've had some people agree. I've had some people disagree. I don't care. Your program might kill me. My program might kill you. I've got to do what's going to keep me sober today. And that's what's most important. So for me, there has been multiple times where I've relapsed. And the thought of having to go back into a meeting and turn my chips in and pick up a new chip and start the calendar all over again has kept me away from going back faster than I should. Mm. I've never seen anybody not relapse because their sobriety did. I've never seen anybody not relapse because, oh, well, you know, I've got five years and, you know, I don't really want to start over. I and mean, plenty of people have went out with that amount of time. I've seen way too many people not only not come back, but die because of the shame of having to go back and start the calendar all over because you go back to a meeting and you raise your hand and say that you relapsed and some old timer says, oh, you threw it away all for nothing. Dude, I've been in recovery for 17 years. I didn't lose anything. You cannot take away what I've learned in every step meeting, with every cup of coffee I've had with a sponsor, with every counseling session that I've been in, uh, with, with every conversation I've had with you know somebody like you guys or listening to it. But you can't take that away from me. It's just an arbitrary number that I decided to put on the calendar. And recovery is the only thing that we do it with. We don't look at somebody else and say, well, how long have you been a Christian? 
How long have you been working out? How long have you been doing that? And it's like, if you're on a diet and you've been dieting for six months and you eat cheesecake on Saturday and pizza on Sunday, you don't lose, you don't, you don't negate all the weight that you lost over the course of six months and have to start all over again on Monday. Guess what? It's still Monday. I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, you know, well, I had 95 days of sobriety and I drank last night. I got to start all over again. I was like, no, you didn't lose anything. Guess what? Tomorrow's still day 96. Please don't let anybody tell you otherwise, because I've seen too many people die and not even come back because of that shame. What do you think? What's your what's your take on that? You know what? I really wanted your perspective because I found it solid in the book. And I think that's a really great way of looking at. I know for me, when I fell off, I like even in the midst of the fall off, reached out, got a hold of of people, actually got a new sponsor because of that. So for me, it didn't affect it. But I could see for people with a different lack of a better word, you know, fragile nature, maybe about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, cause for those that maybe are watching and listening, don't know that, you know, there's, there's so much shame that goes behind our addiction. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I, not I, saying that everybody should drop their sobriety date, but if it's not, for, I know a lot of people that don't do it. I didn't know there was a world of people that are sober that don't keep a sobriety date, but sure. there's still, cause there's this new hybrid of, of addict, you know, there's this new hybrid of addict on these designer drugs and they're a hardcore junkie and they're also an alcoholic, you know, but they can't follow the traditions of the AA program and narcotics anonymous is just, it just isn't giving them what they need. And, and they don't really know where they fit in because they go to a meeting and some old timer that's a straight up junk tells them to sit down, don't talk about those things, you know, or you can't talk about that in a meeting, go call your sponsor. And it, it, there's this new hybrid of addict that doesn't really know where they belong. And there's a lot of people that are taking other avenues outside of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous because the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous are getting watered down with everybody that's ever gotten a DUI or a pot charge. Sure. You know, they just aren't real addicts and alcoholics that they describe in the big book. Yeah. And they don't belong there and the meetings are getting watered down. And, you know, so, you know, it, what's working for me might not necessarily work for somebody else. And that's okay. It doesn't have to. Yeah. That's funny you say that. Well, one of my last in-person meetings is a guy that jumped on because we give the option of Zoom and in-person. He's just like, I'm just here because I got a DUI and it's court order. It's like, well, th- th- then just shut, <laughs> you know, don't waste our time, <laughs> yeah. man. You know, it's like, well, I'll listen. I think I'll get something out of you guys. It's like, oh, fuck. Okay. Whatever. No, I think it's good. This isn't, you know, more people need to understand seeking your sobriety isn't a one size fits all, you know, really like in Carlos Vieira's book, Knocking Doors Down, that inspired the podcast. For him, it wasn't that. He had to find something else. Uh, we had a friend of mine on that I made when I worked in professional wrestling as a commentator. For him, never attended one. Been sober five, six years now, you know? So I think it's really good that you pointed out. For some people, sobriety date does because maybe that checking on the calendar is a good thing. Like, man, look what I've done. I'm, I'm accomplishing something. You know, I'm seeing that I've accomplished this. I did it one day at a time. And for other people, like for me, people ask and I go, I, I, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. I, I know it's over this amount of time or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think it just doesn't doesn't it's not a one size fits all. There are things that I track progress to. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've got my calendar where I track my workouts and I know when I went to church and I've got my journal so I could see when I did my devotionals. I, there are things that I track and that's very important. Um, but for me, the sobriety date's just not one of them because it's not a get out of jail free card. But if something happens, I don't want to beat myself up 
thinking that, oh my gosh, I have to start all over. Like, I'd rather just wake up and like, okay, it's the next day, something happens. Let's just keep moving forward because that's all any of us have is today, right? I mean, it's a running joke of sobriety. Who has the most sobriety? The person that woke up the earliest that day. You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, whether you have, you know, I know plenty of people with five, 10 years of sobriety, 15, 20 years of sobriety. I'll go to a noon meeting and I'm like, oh yeah, I've been sober 15 years. Today's my third meeting. Like, it's 12 o'clock. Wow. Like that's if that's what it takes for them to have 15 years of sobriety, that's great. And that works for them, but that might not work for everybody. That's not, that's not personally the way that I want to live my life. I've had sponsors that say, you know, you need to go to a meeting every day. I've had sponsors that say, oh, I didn't get sober to live in meetings, you know, and, and guess what? They're both right. And that's the wonderful thing about it. It's not a linear path to the top of the mountain. And it, it shouldn't be. Well, and it's just like, a, you know, when you talked about spirituality, I know for me, I had to come to it in a different way. And that's the thing that people, I think, get wrapped up in a little too much as well as, you know, well, you're, you're Catholic. I, I don't believe that. Cool. Don't have to. Yeah. I don't have to. Uh, you know, one of our, our, our guests uh, recently, uh, Sonny Mayo, you know, the guitar player in the, the new metal rock world and for him, it was when he started praying because one of his dogs was about to pass away. And that's where he found it. He's like, oh, wow, I did pray to the God. I prayed to that God to watch over my dog. I found it. I mm -hmm. found, you know, and so it's just, yeah, sometimes I think people get it wrapped up even in the dogma of the program a little too much to really look inward as opposed to uh, stop looking to outside solutions for inside problems. Yeah. And even, and even being a Christian, I don't like when other Christians say the only way to get sober is through Jesus Christ. I don't believe that at all. There's a lot of different ways to get sober. I don't care who you pray to to get sober. Let's keep the needle out of your arm today. This way, tomorrow, when you wake up sober, if you really want to talk about who your God is, we can talk about it then. But we can't talk about it with a needle in your arm. Yeah. So you pray to whoever you have to pray to today to keep that needle out of your arm. That's the most important thing. Absolutely. Can I pray to you, Mikey? Uh, if it keeps the needle out of your arm, Jason. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hell. So what did you, what was the most interesting part for you? Cause, um, redoing your first book, which, uh, tell me the title again uh, of the first book. So because the title of the first book was hands like you're praying, which I actually came up with the day that I got arrested because exactly. when I got arrested, the officer came, he put me on the car. He said, turn around and put your hands behind your back. Like you're praying. And then he put me in cuffs. Um, so I was like, oh, that seems like, and if you look, you can probably still find a couple copies of it, but the copy, the cover of the book was a pair of praying hands with handcuffs holding onto like pill bottles and booze bottles. Um, that one, uh, was very, uh, heavy in scripture. Like it was my first book. And I was like, you know, God saved my life. He wants me to write this book. So I was just like throwing scripture in for the sake of throwing scripture in there. Like there's some scripture in that book but it's not over the top. And I didn't want it to be because I didn't want to alienate anybody that's not a Christian um, because you know I don't want them to be scared because there's a, still a message there for you. Whether you're a Christian right. or not, there's a message for you in the book. I can guarantee it. Um, but if you are a Christian, okay, cool. And maybe the, maybe the scripture will make you feel a little bit more at home, whatever it is. Um, but I just felt like I really, because the last one was just my story and that was it. This is more story point takeaway, kind of like what I do with my talks now when I go into schools. Like my story is cool, but honestly, just hearing my story is not going to help anybody. Right. But what is the point? What is the action behind my story? How does that story? So, you know, I tell the story so you can ask yourself, did you think like I thought? Did you do what I did? Did you feel like I felt? Okay. Yeah. Now you say yes to that. 
okay, now that we answered yes to that, here are some of the takeaways as to how I managed to not do these things, act like this, or feel like that. Uh, and then you'll notice at the end of some of the chapters, like a, a, a question, like a challenge uh, with some room to journal and stuff. This way people can kind of, you know, uh, you know, just maybe take some inventory, if you will, if you want to use that, that terminology with it. But um, I just wanted to put something out that was uh, just a little bit more deliberate in terms of um, trying to help the reader versus just telling them my story. Yeah, I really like that part of the book. I was telling Mikey that before he started recording that you threw things in there where it, you know, exactly what kept me reading was, yes, I have felt like that. Oh, boy, I have not explored that before. I think I need to write. So you did a, you did a great job. Cool, uh, take us through just a day. What's a, what's a normal day when you're not talking to us two knuckleheads? Uh, so a normal day for me, I'm usually up anywhere between 4 and 5 a.m. because that's when my kids start waking me up. I've got a six-month-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a four-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, I get their milk ready. Um, you know, uh, my wife is a pediatric nurse. Um, so I try to take care of the kids in the morning while she's getting ready for work. And you know, I do my best to just, you know, play that husband role and, you know, pack her lunch, warm up her car, you know, just those little gentlemanly things that uh, a good husband's supposed to do. Uh, once I drop them off, I usually go straight to the gym, try to knock out that, uh, you know, that physical fitness piece. Um, I work on my social media content in the morning as well. Uh, after that, if I don't have a speaking event that day, um, I'm back in the office, I'm working on content, I'm working on presentation, I'm actually working on putting out a new journal right now, um, I'm trying to get in contact with decision makers to try to get on more campuses to reach more students, my goal is to reach 100,000 students this year. Um, you know, so that's a day if I'm not speaking, if I'm, if I'm speaking, uh, I'm in the airport, I'm in, uh, you know, security lines, I'm eating meals by myself, I'm driving rentals by myself, I'm staying in hotels by myself. Also, I could stand on stage for 45 minutes for that one moment that gives me the ultimate high that nothing can replace. Um, cause it's funny, man. Like for me, the bigger the crowd, the better. I, I spoke at a school where I was in front of 1400 students at one time. That's and cool. the high that I had when I walked out of there was absolutely amazing because what I had to say absolutely captivated that audience because God has given me the ability to communicate a message um, and also deliver it with passion. Um, but what I've realized is, um, you know, that wasn't always me. If you would have asked me my name 10 years ago, I would have stuttered out of fear of what you would have thought about me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I've definitely come a long way. Um, I, lo I love my day to day. Uh, I love traveling. I love speaking. I love meeting new people. Um, you know, I, I make good money doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, you, I remember you had, I listened to your episode with Tony, Tony Hoffman, you know, he talked yeah. a little bit about it and stuff like that. Um, but at the end of the day, I would give back every single paycheck I've ever received to have another teenage girl look at me and say, because she was able to relate to my message, she threw away her suicide letters. Wow. You, you can't put a, you can't put a price on that. And it, that's why I do what I do. I charge because I like living indoors and keeping the lights on and putting <laughs> from my family. But um, that's why I do what I do. Right. I, yeah, I said to someone, uh, I don't know, five, six months ago, hey, just because we do a life of servitude uh, doesn't mean we have to live in destitute. Yeah. It's okay, I, I, it's okay to know your worth. It's yeah. okay to know your worth. Yeah. And it didn't start that way. When I first started speaking, I, I spoke for free. I probably did about 30 unpaid talks before I ever got paid. And the first time I ever got paid, I think I got a hundred dollars. Almost kind of like you were a, a that was a big deal to me. 
like a speaking well, intern. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, but you got to get your reps in, you know, you got, yeah. you got to get your practice. You got to get your reps in. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody wanted to pay me. Then people started to know who I was, but they still didn't want to pay me. Then it gets to a level where people know who we are. We will pay you this. Then it'll get to the point where you are who you are and you're going to pay me this. Right. So those are kind of like the stages of, of earning your keeps in the speaking game. Uh, I often tell people, especially my kids, you know, I, I had a radio career that was almost 20 years prior to this. I interned for a year and a half. Radio internships don't pay for free. I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it. So it's like, you know, well, you could have been making money. That one, no regrets. I'm here today right now doing this. So it's, Hey, it's always steps guys. Well, that's why I started doing this. And, And I realized that I had never been so passionate about something. I was willing to do it for free. And that's why I told myself, I need to find a way to do this and keep the lights on at the same time. Well, hey, Sam, before we get to our fun random questions and leave you with the final thought of uh, some words of inspiration you want to drop on some people, uh, much like yourself, Mikey and I can't pull the sleeve up, tattooed. I love talking about tattoos. Tell us about the tattoos, man. So uh, two tattoos, one on each arm. Uh, the one on my left arm uh is my uh, kind of i don't know if you guys air this but it's my angel that fights my uh inner demons i used to say my inner demons were drugs and alcohol but as i've grown i've learned they run a lot deeper than that sure. um so that's my angel that fights my demons um nice. on this is actually some scripture it's matthew 23 12 and um, it says he who praises himself will be humbled he who humbles himself will be praised and the reason i put that there is because i got sober in 2013 after my overdose Mm -hmm. between the year of 2013 and 2015 uh, things started getting really good almost too good and i allowed my confidence to turn to cockiness and god decided he was going to shut that down real quick (laughs) Um, so that's just my reminder to, to, to remember why am I doing this and, and to not allow my confidence to turn to cockiness because it's, it's not a good luck on me. It's really not. <laughs> he, ego's a son of a bitch, isn't it? It is, man. It really is. What is that's, a, that's, a, that's a drug too. Yeah. Be, oh, being yeah. addicted to your own ego and that clout, that's a drug. Absolutely. Uh, guilty, guilty is charged. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope I'm humble now. I don't know. I hope uh, you you're know. cocky as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we got a couple tattoos over here, too. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right. You're up first, Mikey. Random questions. All right. If you could have dinner with anybody living or dead, who would it be? Ooh, Anybody in the entire world or who has ever existed? Man, I don't know if I'm supposed to say something like my grandfather. who No, I never dude. Met. There's no right or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You would be like, well, I really want to say Al Pacino, but I feel like I should say my grandma. You know what I, mean? like, I don't know why somebody that's coming to mind right now. And honestly, if I would have premeditated this, I probably wouldn't have thought of them. Uh, Les Brown. Les he's Brown. a motivational speaker. Les Brown. Oh, oh okay. He's, he, he's one of the OG originals. He's back like with Zig Ziglar and for sure. Rone. Like he's one of the originals. Um, he, he's somebody I'd really just kind of like to sit down and talk to him and pick his brain and get some words of wisdom and inspiration from. Right on. Yeah. Zig Ziglar would be interesting. I've not heard. Yeah. That he'd be another one. Time. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? See, right off the bat, I'd like to say I want to read other people's minds, 
But then I know I would start worrying too much about thinking what other people think about me, which is a dangerous place to go. So, it would be a loud ass room when you're speaking. Yeah. So I don't know. So I'm not going to say that. So what I will say would be, the, what, do you, what do you call it? To go, to be able to be able, the ability to be able to go from one place to the other. Teleport. Tele- Teleport, yeah, to tell yeah. that's one thing I'd be like, like if I wanted, I, I hate, I went to California, it took me 13 hours. No, uh-huh. I want to be in California, <laughs> dude. That's what I pick. Like, you want to go to uh, New York for dinner? Boom, you're there. All right, boom, yeah. back home to California. All right, like I like traveling, but I realized that I don't like those long, long, like 13 hours of travel, 13 hours and three planes, like that's uncalled for. Like, yeah. oh, dude. I'm down to go to Mexico. I just don't want to spend the time in the plane getting there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you avoid COVID. It'd be great. It'd be great. Right? <laughs> this guy, when we're on planes, uh, you know, two masks and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, and Lysol wipes, which he asked to borrow on the second <laughs> ride. Okay, let me have some. No, <laughs> dude, you're giving me shit the first time. So you can kiss these wipes. Uh, yeah, my whole family is just getting over it, man. We just had uh, whatever the one that's going around. It was, a, it was a flu, but it was like a 70% flu that lasted like seven or eight days. Yeah, yeah. That was a lousy part for me. Like, I'd rather have a full blown flu and be down and out for three days then that 70 percent and be out for seven or eight same because that three days you're just sleeping anyways yeah you're just just completely out to just fever dreams and (laughs) (laughs) if you had to pick one food to eat for the rest of your life just one thing what would it be Ooh, um i'm gonna have to go i think i'm gonna go sushi oh Oh, dude i love sushi it's healthy it's filling there's a lot of variety Boom. Sushi. Yeah. What's in sushi, though? There's something uh, people say for certain types of fish. Mercury. Mer- mercury. mercury. But like I, I had a, uh, this couple that owned a place. They unfortunately retired. And like she said, Jason in Japan, kids and pregnant women eat the sushi every day. And they're fine. Don't make such big deal out of the mercury. Okay. Yeah, I think that's well, specifically get- for like cans of tuna and stuff, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. if, if you eat pizza every day, that's going to fuck you up, too. You know, it's yeah. anything you eat. And I'm just it was just a fun rant. But yes, yeah, sushi. I didn't think of that. I always yeah. think of just good old fashioned quesadilla. Yeah, sushi and cheesecake. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I was going to he referenced cheesecake. So you, you're a cheesecake guy. I am. Yeah, I love good cheesecake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some good I'm stuff. a desserts guy. I'm a sweets guy. Oh, I'm so I, I eat sweets the way that I drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like so I'm gonna I'm gonna go great. all in. There will be no leftovers. Like I yeah. lucked out on that. I never cared for like uh cakes, cookies, anything like that. My weakness is like cheese, ranch dressing, bread, <laughs> oh, tortillas. Okay. That's my weakness. My wife is savory. She's chips, savory, spicy. Stuff. I'm sweet. No, my girlfriend got me because uh, I love like jelly bellies and then uh-huh. my favorite candy. So she got me jelly bellies, my favorite candy bar. And so it was like just after Christmas had ice cream, my favorite candy bar and the whole bag. And she's like, babe, you're going to end up a freaking diabetic. What are you doing? I'm like, I, it's not like I eat it all the time, but when I do, I eat a lot of it. So I know what you mean. Um, all right. One last random question for you. Uh, if there was a movie made about your life, who would you like to play you? And then I'll tell you. It might be a little bit too short, but Mark Wahlberg, man, everything that he touches turns to gold. Eh? Yeah. (laughs) It's all right. They make people look taller on camera. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wait, who's you're short or he's short? He's short. I think, I think he's short, isn't he? I'm five. I'm tall by any means, but 
I think he's he's only like five seven or something like that, right? I have no idea. Probably all these, something like that. All the actors in LA are short. Tom Cruise is like five two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's a little guy. <laughs> yeah, but I, I like him, man. Everything that he touches turns to gold. So I'd say Mark Wahlberg. People, I like adore Mark Wahlberg. Well, Sam, you, uh, I appreciate this uh, transcription in the book. You said it's never too late to turn your mess into a message. Um, is there any other positive words that you would want to lend to people that are either seeking recovery, in recovery, or maybe a loved one of theirs that's listening and wants to understand and be of support? Uh, absolutely. I would say um, be very well aware of when help is being offered to you to accept it, when you need help to ask for it, when you see somebody in need of help to offer it. Sam, this has been a pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure and I hope we keep in touch. Yeah, Sam Luciana there. Sam Lucania. Thanks, man. You know what was really dope is I am such a fan of the old time gangsters and all that. Like, I I love hearing about that stuff. And to hear that a relative of his is Lucky Luciano is just so like... Wow. Right. You know what I mean? And that that whole old time gangster thing just intrigues me. Like it always has. I've always just been really into studying up on it and just hearing about it. And to talk to a relative of a very famous one is right. just it, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Sam. We appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, keep doing all the great work. And again, if you want to get Sam's book, uh, Just Don't Die, that he wrote, uh, co-wrote with his wife, Rachel, uh, it really is a great book. I'm almost finished with it now. And, uh, you know, it's got the most helpful thing that I found about it, as we talked about in the uh conversation was the little workbook stuff at the end of like chapters and sections and things like that but really inspirational work and maybe you want to have sam come speak at your organization again his website it's in the podcast description and uh, you can go there and reach out to sam or you know he's great about answering questions and everything else so thanks again and of course we got some more great guests headed your way on the knocking doors down podcast thank you for subscribing and listening of course on apple podcast and spotify where you can leave us a rating and uh, that helps us kind of climb up the charts get more notoriety also on google podcast iheart Everywhere you can get audio podcasts, I guarantee we are there. We've made sure of it. And if you want the uh, full interviews, uh, unedited, commercial-free, you can join our YouTube channel. It's 99 cents a month. Helps Mikey and I with our travels. We can go to L.A. or wherever we are. So it helps cover that travel cost. And we really appreciate everyone that signed up so far. Thank you so very much. Uh, Uncle Mikey, uh, anything else you want to add? No, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org.